For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. In today's message, missionary evangelist Bon Gaona shares with us the exciting work that's going on in Nepal. He also brings an encouraging word about God's love from Acts chapter 8. Now let's join our guest speaker with a message entitled, Reaching the One. Alrighty, as you make your way to your seats, I will start with the proper official introduction to Bond, not James. All right. Well, Bond and Heather, um, they planted a church, oh, about in 2002, um, and in the suburbs of San Diego, where they pastored for uh, about 12 years. And then he felt like stepping down, that the Lord was calling him to a wider work out there in the middle of nowhere, out where people are not reached, the unreached people groups of the world. And so he started with nothing and just put a backpack and just, Lord, show me what to do. And you're going to hear the wonderful story of how they're just started with nothing. And there are missionary compounds and people right now raised up and being trained and sent out to these villages all around the world, uh, but mostly in Nepal and, and they're in Dehradun, India. What a small world because we have a work there as well. And so... Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, as they say, please welcome Vaughn. Vaughn, come on up here. Good morning. Thank you, my brother. They've been up here for about uh, three, three days now, yeah. right? And so we had some chance to sit down and, and talk and spend some time together. And just a, it's been a delight to uh, hear the stories and, and become friends with you guys. So praise the Lord. Thank you. Appreciate welcome. it. Thank welcome. you so much for having us. Okay. All right. Well, good morning. My name is Bon. 007 is how you pronounce it. <laughs> well, my wife, Heather, she'll be here shortly to speak. And um, my beautiful gal, uh, Brianna, 10 months old, and uh, we were married for 15 years. Uh, and then the, Heather said to me, it's time to have a baby. And I'm, yeah, I'm real selfish. So I'm like, what? I don't want to have a baby? That's then I have to die twice, die once to you and then die twice for the baby. But, but she's been just picking away at that, un, that selfishness and, you know, her love. Oh, my goodness, I'm willing to do anything for her. And so, um, you know, it, it started out in San Diego. I was, uh, the Lord found me there. I gave my life to Jesus. And uh, I just started doing Bible studies. I went out to the highways and the byways and led people to the Lord and uh, and started, you know, just normal Bible study that would grow up to be a church later on. And I found my wife, Heather, there, and that's where we ended up getting married. And uh, for 12 years, I was pastoring at this church in San Diego. We had the best life ever. I mean, like Pastor Ross, he has it good here. You know, this is Santa Rosa. I went all over, you know, on the bus, on a, not on a bus, on a Mercedes bus that was just like this, it was, it was manly, you know? <laughs> And it was, you get out, people are looking at you like, are you guys stars, you know? And I was like, 
no, we're no one, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it was awesome. It was, you know, we had a great life. But what we did is that we would take our vacation time and we would spend it in the unreached world preaching the gospel. And that's where God began to lay that burden in our hearts. And so we began to ask the Lord uh, for vision to go full-time in the mission field. Uh, well, I had an opportunity to go into India up in the Himalayas and I told my wife, I said, God's going to give me a word in India, and I'll come back and share it with you. And when I was in, in India, up there in the foothills of the Himalaya, sharing the gospel, the Lord said, if you will disciple these men, train them up, raise them up, they will go further than you can ever go, and they would reach more people than you can ever reach. And it was done. It was sealed in my heart that I was going to be a full-time missionary uh, just doing that, yes. So, so I came back home. And my wife said, so what did the Lord share with you? And I figured, well, we're about two or three years out. You know, and I, I, told, I didn't tell her that part, but I just said, you know, I told her the story. And she said, when are we going? Let's do it now. And my, my heart's like, what? She, I, would, I was thinking, she, you know, she's blonde hair, blue eye. You know, give me some time to think about it and pray. You know? And she's like, no, when are we going? And I'm like, you know, in less than a year, we got out to the mission field. We start out in India. India, of course, is home to over a billion people, and 88% of the people have never heard the name of Jesus. In your lifetime, you will hear the gospel 56 times. That's really uh, more than that, but you'll hear the name of Jesus many more. 88% of the people have never heard the name of Jesus. Picture this. We put on our backpacks. We head up into the mountains. That's what you see the pictures there. And so we'll, we'll, head, we'll just head out to the mountains. We'll see villages. And then we'll march right up to those villages and share the gospel. This one particular village that we are marching up to, um, we typically pray for it first. We start praying as we, we see it from a distance. We start praying, Lord, in the name of Jesus, bind these demons that have oppressed these people. Imagine this, that these demons have never responded to a man in over, over 2,000 years. Never. They have always been present always doing what they want with these people. And then we come in, we come marching in, and we say, in the name of Jesus, you must depart. It's the first time they have to respond to a man of God in the name of Jesus. Yeah, it's powerful. And we pray that the Lord would remove the demonic spirit so that they can receive the Holy Spirit as he begins to minister Jesus to them so they can make a free will choice to choose him or to reject him. And this one, one particular village we walked up to, they were having an elders meeting. We didn't know it. We walked up and there's like 60, 50 to 100 people just like you staring at me right when I walked up. And my heart is coming out of my chest. Like, what are they going to do? Are they going to beat me? Are they going to club me? You just never know how they're going to react. And so they're all looking at me. I'm looking at them. And I give no time for them to think about clubbing me. So <laughs> I tell my translator, I go, you ready? And he says, yeah. And I say, hey, the God who made the heavens and the earth and all that you see sent me here with a message for you. And I want to know if you'd like to hear. I mean, I'm quick about that. <laughs> and they all look to the elders, the oldest guys and the elders, they shake their heads. And I'm like, oh, here it goes. We give the gospel. We give them Jesus Christ and him crucified. Romans chapter 1, 16, the gospel is the power of God to salvation. Just give the message and watch God do that work. Then we give the invitation, and many give their lives to Jesus, and we say, we'll be back. We'll train you up, we'll give you a Bible, and we'll start a church plant in these areas. So our first area is uh, India. Our next area is Nepal. 
Now, Paul is open. Uh, I mean, it, it has over 330 million gods. Everything's a god. In the morning, they wake up with bells. Ding-a-ling-a-ling. If you've been to Nepal, you, Nepal, you know. Ding-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling. It's the dongs that get me in the morning. Dong, dong. I'm like, oh, yeah. Where does that guy live? Because he's going to get the gospel first. <laughs> I, I want to sleep, you know? Real selfish guy I am. I mean, I'm selfish. <laughs> So, you know, it's, it's just the strangest noises, strangest things that they do, but they're helpless and hopeless without Jesus. By the way, when we're sharing the gospel with them, they'll tell us, don't, don't share about your God, because our God will be angry and he'll punish us when we, when we return home. So they're under this, this prison of fear, and it's horrible. And uh, our job is to give them the truth and set them free. And then we work in northern Uganda. Uganda itself is 72% Christianized. But that northern section, 95% Muslim, and they're hostile Muslims. Uh, and God is doing a work there because there's a hospital uh, there from a Christian man who went out on his own in the bush and started to work there among the Muslims. And they allow us to go because we're a part of that hospital. Uh, we have... Many, many stories. I'll tell you one. Uh, this one particular time I was teaching, I came up upon a, a, a cafe, an outdoor cafe. It's, it was in a, a ridge setting, and so in the valley they were meeting there, and I came up, and there was about 20 Muslim men sitting there. And so I began to share with them and speak and, 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 and ask them if they had any questions. You know, do you have any questions? My typical introduction is, you know, when we're meeting like this in America, we talk about sports, politics, and religion. What are you talking about? You know, that's my introduction. And, and then if they say, we don't want to talk about anything, we want to hear you, I'm like, that's even better because I'm going to give them Jesus. So I begin to share with them about uh, just answering their questions at first. And then I'm going to give them the gospel. But by this time, it had swelled up to over 150 men that had, that had surrounded us. And I was like, oh, this is, this is scary. You know, Muslim hats, the outfits, everything. And they're like, blah, 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 and asking me questions. And I'm, I have this smile like I do now. I'm just answering, you know, but Jesus, you know, and I just, I just answer very lovingly. And so I go, let me present the gospel. So I presented the gospel message. And then I went back to answering questions that they had. And then one man yells out, what must I do to be saved? Yeah. I thought it, yeah, I, at that time, I knew I was going to die. Because <laughs> I'm not going to back down from answering a question like that, right? So I, I say, you've heard the gospel. So if you want to give your life to Jesus, stand up right where you're at. And four men stood up. And, the, and I thought there was going to be a riot. I mean, it was loud. It was aggressive. They were yelling. They were cursing. I mean, it was, it was it, I was afraid. Now, I didn't say this in the first service because I didn't have enough time, but I wanted to run, you know, just get out and run. But I had my father-in-law there, and he had just knee surgery. <laughs> so so I, I couldn't abandon him because <laughs> then my wife would kill me, you know, so... So I, I'm dead either way. So I said, well, okay, let's answer this man's question. You know, stand up right where you're at. And these four men stood up, and it was so loud that we couldn't hear one another speak. 
And so I said to the four men, come down. I didn't know what I was doing. I said, come down here to where I'm at. And we're down in the, the valley. And these four men came and they started ripping their clothes. You're not going, no. And, and they said, we're going. We're giving our lives to Jesus, man. It was bold. It was the boldest men I've ever seen on planet Earth. They were courageous because there were so many men against them. And yet they went down. And we still couldn't communicate. One of my friends grabbed the four and went over the hillside. And as they vanished over the hillside, it got instantly quiet. And I said, next question, you know, yeah. <laughs> this, this man who had authority stood up and he said, listen, we are out of order. And he was a Muslim man. He says, and we can never do this or we'll never be able to meet like this again. This opened doors throughout the week for me to come share there over and over and over again. Many men kept coming back to our home and saying, I was there at that coffee shop. I gave my life to Jesus. I want to know what I must do. It was an amazing time. And so we have a lot of adventures just like that. And so uh, what we like to do, here's our purpose in ministry, to provide biblical training for pastors and leaders, invest in the uh, lives of national by, nationals by discipling believers, share the gospel with those who've never heard the name of Jesus, Meet the physical needs of children who are hurting by providing food, clothing, education, and medical care. Through our partnership with Promise Child, we bring the gospel to the most needy children around the world. My wife will share about Promise Child yeah, shortly. So one of my favorite things to do is preach the gospel. I did that here in America. I still do, by the way. Uh, you know, every now and then I'll put on my backpack here and travel to the streets or to get on a bus and just share Jesus. I still love to do that. Here's a helicopter ride. They, they told us that there's a village that has never heard the gospel, but you can't do that in a week's time because it's too long. You, you would have to travel by vehicle so many hours, and then you've got to hike back into the mountains. Uh, when we were in the, inside a little town there, I met a doctor who owned a helicopter. <laughs> said, what would it take for you to take us to this? And, and I gave him the, you know, the, 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 uh, you know, the address of where this place was located. You know, and, and so he, he said, you know, uh, all you have to do is pay for the fuel. And I said, how much is that? He said, 450. And I said, I know, I know somebody will provide that. You know, if I knew Pastor Ross at that time, I would have called him. Pastor Ross, you know, Pastor Ross, all I needed $450, man. And so, yeah, done, done. We, we, we flew, uh, you know, we, we were taking a medical team there as well. And so the first flight landed with the medical supplies and everybody saw that in the area. So they all ran to the area there. And so when we came, they dropped us off. There was, this, there was this group of hundreds and hundreds of people that were surrounding us. I thought we were going to land and go hut to hut. You know how you plan it out? And I said, well, no better time like this than now. The, the, the beautiful thing is that they were all dancing just with their you know, spears and their clothing. And they were just celebrating because we were bringing something good to them. And it's true. We were bringing medical supplies, but we were, we were bringing something better, Jesus Christ. And so we preached Jesus Christ and him crucified, and many gave their lives to Jesus there. And so now we have a team that goes there quite often there and disciples them. And so I, that's my favorite thing to do is, is preach the gospel. Discipleship, that's the command that Jesus gave to us, and that's what I do. After we lead them to the Lord, we disciple them, we train them up, and we prepare them for the work in their own cities, uh, in their own uh, villages. And so uh, elderships are, elders are what I'm looking for. Look at that hat on my head there. Doesn't it like make me look thin? Yeah. <laughs> the, 
they, they put the funniest things on you. And then this is this hat they give me. They go, we want to take a photo with you, Pastor Bon. I'm like, oh my goodness. And so elders, you know, uh, Paul the apostle told Titus, plant them in every city. And that's what we do. We raise them up, we train them, and we plant them in every city. And so uh, that's what caused us to de- develop the school of ministry there in uh, Dehradun in India. And so Pastor Ross and his team has uh, been there. And so and that's where we're at at this particular time. Uh, we train them up there. It's a year program. And then we get them back out in the village. Uh, I want to introduce you to our, our graduating students. These are young men who just love Jesus um, every one of them has a testimony. Every one of them are doing amazing work uh, there. And so what we typically do is that we never share that we're going to support them. We never share that we're going to partner financially with them. We want the Lord to put a, a burden in their hearts, and then they begin to do that work, and then we get behind them because uh, we don't want to pollute them nor um, uh, change their attitude or their hearts. But every one of them are in ministry. I just want to introduce you to this one guy. His name is Regender. Uh, Regender here, he says to us, I want to work in Bihar. That's where I was born. That's where I was raised. Uh, Bihar is one of the poorest states in India. By the way, it's one of the most hostile uh, states towards Christianity in India as well. And so he's there. He's ministering there. And I want to show you a picture of his church, Calvary Chapel in Bihar, India, doing amazing work. Yeah, praise God for his amazing work. He... uh, uh, we saw him at the end of the year and we asked him, what do you need? And he says, you know, I travel from this location to this location and this location and my bike, it's all rusted out. So the one thing I would like is a bike to ride to these places. And they're like two, three hours away on a bike, you know? And so uh, we said, we can get you that. What are they, like $50 in there? You know, we, we can get you that. But this man heard the story and provided him a motorcycle. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, God is doing amazing work. Every one of those guys has amazing stories. And so, and then we went to work at Calvary Chapel, Kathmandu. Uh, we started a Bible college there. We're officially the sister branch of Marietta. So it's a two-year program. And we disciple these men in the word of God and women, by the way. And we train them up and we send them out. We started Calvary Chapel, Kathmandu there. It's growing. It's flourishing. Uh, it's an amazing work. Uh, this year was our first graduates that graduate, graduated. Uh, five of them, though we have many more, but these five uh, completed a two-year course. And all the guys have already churches that they're going to work at. They're working at or going to work at already. And so uh, I want to show you the different churches that we planted. We have many more, but these are the ones that are really uh, they're, they're thriving. So Calvary Chapel, Missouri, Calvary Chapel, Dehradun, De La Sari, Bihar, uh, Calvary Chapel, Kathmandu, Africa, Kabbalah, and of course, Calvary Chapel, Pakistan. And so, yeah, we have some work that God is doing. So keep us in your prayers. God is doing amazing work. I'm going to let my wife take over here. If you want me to hear, or if you want to hear, I need this. Good morning. As you can see, I don't fit in physically in the countries where we work with blonde hair and blue eyes, but um, I also am uh, not um, 
I don't fit in as well, just personality-wise, originally. I'm a planner. I like to play it safe. I like to be comfortable. I'm organized. And if you've ever been to a third-world country, none of which um, are true in the countries that we work. And so I was confronted with the reality when we went to India. And, um, you know, I realized that like my husband had shared, 88% of the people had never heard the name of Jesus. I was shocked. And then we went to Nepal, and there, like he said, there's 330 million gods that they worship. And I was burdened. And then when we were in Uganda, and there were um, just women who had been deceived for generations after generations by Islam, and I had the truth. I knew that um, I needed to say, yes, Lord, because how else were these women going to be reached with a gospel in these unreached areas if I wasn't willing to say yes to the Lord as he was prompting us to go? And God's plan has been so much better than anything I could have ever expected. Uh, that was five years ago um, that we started full time. And now we live, I got a lot of questions like, where do you live? Well, we don't exactly have a set home. We spend most of our year in Nepal now um, since the earthquake and since establishing the Bible College. But we have places that we stay in each of these locations. And like I say, wherever you are, that's home. So for the last few days, it's been Santa Rosa. And we're really liking it here. And there's a family in the church that hosted us. And um, we got to tour around yesterday. And it's just been beautiful. And everyone's been so welcoming. So we um, started a school of discipleship in India for women. The women in the villages are um, typically illiterate uh, where we work. They make less than $2 a day if they have work in the fields. Um, they are from Hindu backgrounds, but all of them are hungry to hear the word of God. They will walk for hours and sit on the floor, as you can see in this picture, um, you know, sweating with no air conditioning, just to hear the word, to take copious notes, because everything they're hearing, it's the first time they're ever hearing um, the word of God. And because so many of them learn audibly, a lot of them, even if they can read, it's really difficult for them to read the Bible. Um, you know, they just soak it all in, and, and there's just, they want more. And so I was able to train 12 women over a two-year period, and now they're out doing their own women's studies, going chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And so now when we go, I just get to, you know, sit in on their teaching and, and just to see how far along they are now. It's just a blessing because that's my passion is to train them up so they'll continue to do the work. And as my husband mentioned, I do um, work with a ministry called Promise Child. We are a part of the board. And um, what Promise Child uh, does, in case you're not familiar, it's a child sponsorship organization. And we partner with Calvary Chapels around the globe and work in seven different countries, the ministry does. Uh, we primarily focus on three of those countries, but we sponsor children for $15 a month. That's one five. And um, that provides uh, food and clothing and school fees and school supplies. And all of that is a platform to share the gospel with these children and their families. And so um, it gives me an open door into a lot of areas, into a lot of schools that I wouldn't um, otherwise have the opportunity to minister in. And so, you know, because we've shown them the love of Christ, they open the door to us. And I spend a lot of time um, visiting their homes, visiting their schools. I do all of the updates and writing all of the profile cards and reports and prayer requests for those who sponsor the children here in the state. So I really feel like I have the best job in the world. Um, 
And like I, I shared, it gives that platform. So this is Obaro. She's a grandmother, and um, she's from a Muslim background. And when I first met her, she was totally closed off to the gospel. She has 10 grandchildren, uh, four of which are in our Promised Child program. And she broke her hip, and she lives probably six hours from the closest hospital where you could even get medical treatment if they even did that type of surgery, which they don't. And, um, and so over a course of time, we were visiting her and praying with her. And um, finally, one day she said, you know, none of the Muslims came to visit me when I was hurting and when I was sick. And the, the people at Calvary Chapel Mitigo in, in northern Uganda were the only ones that came. And so I was able to just start visiting her. She couldn't come to church. So we would go and read the Bible to her each week. And um, that's one of our uh, national workers who would translate for me as I just taught her studies. And now she's a believer. She she has an audio Bible in her own language that um, she can actually set out in the sun. It charges it, and then she's able to listen to the Bible. But just one of many stories of women that um, I have the privilege of interacting with. I, uh, I do um, deal with lots of um, needy children, children who, um, like this little boy, his name is Manoj in India, who um, before we met him, he wasn't in school. His parents didn't have the money to send him to school anymore. His um, parents were Hindus and his father was a drunkard. He had never been told that he was loved before. And um, he's been in our program now for three years. And when I went back and um, we went for uh, a short visit in April, just two months ago, and as I was asking him his prayer request to share with his supporter and sponsor here in the States, he was sharing with me that he's memorizing scripture, and uh, he said, I want to be a pastor. So, you know, it just blessed my heart just to be able to, to see the growth that's come in his life and, you know, know that he's still that one that's sharing, you know, with his parents who aren't believers yet. I identify that with that in many, um, with, with much sense of the word, but um, the most recent... Um, a project that we've been involved with and ministry that um, I've been involved in starting is in Nepal. And as many of you might remember, in 2015, there was an earthquake, a 7.9 um, on the Richter scale, and it uh, killed 10,000 people on one day, and uh, close to a half million people were left homeless. So I know it's kind of um, gone off the, the radar here in, in America, but it's still just a crisis situation. This country that was already hurting uh, so desperately uh, in so many different ways is, was now crushed, really. And so our hearts began to pray like we can't help everyone you know we can't go to every village but you know we started focusing on four different villages where our students at the Bible College were from and so we identified those villages where we could continue to do outreach and send teams and as we began to pray it really became clear that the most at risk after this catastrophe were the children especially young girls because there's such a high rate of trafficking for those who are already in such need and so um, I spent the better part of a year preparing a home and registering with the government um, in Nepal. And in February, um, one by one, they came. And they brought their village leaders and some of them from their church leaders and a maternal aunt or uncle or some sort of caretaker with them. And I was just able to welcome them into this home that was prepared for them. So we have 12 little girls. That's their smiling faces. They each have a name and a story. Um, just, you know, I, I think I was in tears almost every day. I, I met with each family. My husband's like, I have never seen you like such a mess, you know. But when you just hear of, of, you know, homes like little Anita who was sleeping outside and under metal sheets because her family 
family had lost their house in the earthquake, and um, six months after the earthquake, her father uh, contracted tuberculosis and died because he wasn't able to get the treatment, and um, just so many stories like that um, where, you know, as we as we welcomed them in, many of them are from so remote, they had never seen a white person. So imagine they're crying when they see me, you know, they're scared, and then I'm leaving, it was so hard to leave in May, and, and now they're weeping, like, don't leave us, auntie, you know? I felt so bad because so many people have left them, and, um, but I, you know, I didn't promise, I always say if the Lord wills, but you know, I'll be back, and, um, and so, you know, they are in need of support, and, um, and so they're just precious in our prayer, and my prayer and hope as I spend time with them them, and um, we transport them to church at Calvary Chapel Kathmandu every week, and as um, as we train them up in the ways of the Lord, that they would be the world changers of Nepal, that they would be um, the ones who are going back to their village and taking the gospel to their um, own people groups, and so we're just... Um, we're thankful for the privilege of being here. Uh, we're thankful for you and for your um, church fellowship. And we do have a table in the back. We'd love to meet you guys. Um, there's a lot of you, but we would love to shake your hand. And we do have prayer cards. So if you're interested in, in praying for us and putting that on your fridge, come grab one. And we also send out updates. So if you want to keep in touch with us and get a monthly email, there's a sign-up sheet. You can do that. And as well, we do... Um, have information if you're interested in partnering with us um, financially or in other ways, if you want to come, which I think Pastor Ross will share more about in the months to come. We'd love to have you. Um, so we have information about the ministries we're a, a part of, and we'd love to get that information into your hands as well. So thanks for having us. Well, let's get into the word. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. I heard that uh, Ross loves snakes. When I was in India, we were taking these high schoolers over to uh, the Taj Mahal, and you have to stop at every state to pay taxes. And... Um, and I was sitting next to our Indian national guy, and I said, hey, you know, you need to go stand at the door opening there and protect us. He says, protect you of what? I says, protect us from any crazy man that would want to come. And right when I said this, this guy comes into our bus, pushes the door with his tortilla box. And before I could say anything, he pops the lid, and there's this cobra, right? <laughs> and he's got this little horn. And... and I mean, it's in our face. You can't see me because I'm hugging the window, right? I'm like, can, can you get this guy some rupees and get him out of our bus, right? At this particular time, all the girls on the bus wake up. They scream. I mean, it's the most ridiculous scream I've ever heard in my life because it's intensified because the cobra's there. And they're like, ah! And I thought the cobra was going to, you know, it was going to scare the cobra. And he was going to jump up into our lap and then go into the bus. And I was like, are you kidding me? You know, and I said, so we gave him some money. He got off the bus. And I was like, now you, you have to learn these things. From now on, when, you, when you're with a group like us, get on the, the you know, in front of the bus and, and make sure nobody enters the door. And so we're, we're almost getting to the next state when I'm scolding him still, you know. And, and, and so he gets up and I say, wait, I'm not done. And he opens it. He goes, you don't have to worry about snakes here. Here comes the monkeys. And he gets out, man. And these guys are running with their monkeys and they're throwing them on our bus. And they're like, roll up the windows. You know, I'm like, 
Oh, man. I have all kinds of stories. <laughs> Acts 8. We're going to pick it up in verse 26. You know, I, uh, I, everywhere I travel, I, I always enter these huge airports in Dubai, you know, there in London and all over the world. And I, I run to all kinds of people, different backgrounds, Arabs, you know, and uh, with Muslim influence and Indians and Nepalis. And, you know, and I sit across from them many times and I'm just wondering in my heart, does God care for this one individual? You know, and this begins to pierce my heart and I begin to wonder if the Lord wants me to speak to this individual or that individual. Does he care for all? You know, and, and as I began to read the scriptures, the one thing that you realize is that God cares for the one. And if you're here this morning and you're the one and you don't think that God cares for you, I want to say this with all that I can, with all my heart, and just plead with you to understand the love of God. He loves you. And he ordained for you to be here this morning to hear this, that he came for you. So here's our story. In verse 26, it's an Ethiopian. He's uh, in Jerusalem. He's riding back home. And so it says in verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, to the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. I love that the Holy Spirit instructed the author Luke to write that portion of there, the desert road. You see, Philip, he was an evangelist. He's in Samaria, and there's so many people coming to Jesus. They're given their lives by the hundreds, maybe the thousands. And, and then the Lord says to Philip, Philip, I want you to leave this powerful work that's going on and go to the desert, that desert road. It's the less traveled road. There would be many times where you wouldn't see anybody on this road. It's the back road, if you will, to Gaza and to Jerusalem. And so there would be nobody on it, but yet Philip would go. And why? Because God is going after the one. Let's read it. It says there, in verse 27, so he started out and on his way he met the Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasuries of Kandike. Is that how you say that? Which means queen of the Ethiopian. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. So we find this about the Ethiopian man, that he is a worshiper of God. He's a seeker of truth. You know, and in this particular context, he's not saved, but he's seeking Maybe that's you this morning. You've come here. You've known about God all your life, but you just haven't had that relationship with him. This morning in the first service, I had a man come to me. He says, that's me. That's me, Pastor Bond. Pray for me that my relationship with God would be one. I've come to church all my life, but I have no relationship. If that's you this morning, then I'm pleading that the Holy Spirit would speak to you. Go deep within the soul and cause you to have this beautiful relationship where it goes from the head to the heart, the soul of man, the soul of woman, that you become one with God. No longer a worshiper afar, but close and near as God would enter into that deeper relationship with you. So here he is. He's a seeker of truth in verse 28. And on his way home was sitting in a chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go uh, to the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. 
Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. I, I love this story because it, it's Philip here. He's probably in awe of this caravan. There's soldiers. There's, you know, there's men all around this, 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 this procession you know, of all this, this wealthiness. And here's the Ethiopian man reading the Bible. And, and Philip's just sitting there watching this process, this procession uh, continue right past them. And then the Holy Spirit says, hey, I want you to run next to the chariot. And so Philip gets up and he's running by the chariot. Now this is strange. I, I know some weirdos, but this is one of those guys, you know. And, 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 and Philip is just running and the, no doubt the man, he's reading the Bible and he's looking at, the, looking at Philip and going, oh, what, what is this? What is this cat doing, man? What is this? This guy's crazy, but I'm going to keep reading, you know? And he keeps reading, but he's reading out loud, and he reads the book of Isaiah. You know, there's no coincidence in the plan of God, right? This is Isaiah 53, the Messianic story of Jesus and what he would do for mankind. And so Philip yells out, hey, do you know what it's talking about? I love that, the introduction here. It says there, so Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading. Do you understand what you are reading in verse 31? How can I, he, uh, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of the scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was uh, deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. In verse 34, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with the very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Oh, amen to that, yes. I, I love these uh, times when God sets up these appointed times for mankind. I remember I was having a rough day uh, at work, you know, in the morning. I was just being grouchy, you know, and, and, I, and my job was I was the shop manager. So sometimes I delivered men even to job sites. And so this one particular morning, just having a rough time and just getting in my truck, and this man comes up and they said, you need to take me to this job site. I said, okay, hop on in. I never showed my grouchiness outside, right? Because I'm being a fake, a hypocrite. But anyways, I was just, okay, hop on in, you know. And, and he looks at me and he said, they tell me you're a pastor. I'm like, I hate when they do that. Because <laughs> now I have to smile. Yeah, you know. It's, it's true. <laughs> I'm a pastor, you know. And then he says, what must I do to be saved? Oh, man. God knows how to change, the instant, change instantly the heart condition. And he changed my heart. And I, and I, I like this. It's easy fishing, right? Fishing for men. Just right next door. Yeah, there you go. Here's the gospel. You want to give your life to Jesus? Yes, yes. And he gives his life to Jesus. And we became good friends after that. Here it is. Same setup. God sets up divine appointments. And God's setting that up for you. I was sharing at a large church in Southern California, and uh, one of my wife's best friend, who is atheist, she didn't believe in God, she never wanted to do anything with religion, she had a series of bad events in her life, and finally she says, I am fed up, I need God in my life. You know, that's what she said, and, you know, which is a shocker coming out of her mouth. Uh, my wife that morning put on Facebook that we would be speaking at this church. So she gets on Facebook, my wife's friend that is, gets on Facebook and sees that and says, I'm going there. 
I'm going to go to hear what God has to say through Heather and Bond. And so I get up there, I share the message, and I give an invitation. She's the first one to raise her hand. And I said, God appointed a divine appointment for you this evening. And the same is true here. Today, this morning, it isn't by accident that you're here. It's divinely appointed by God that you would understand this morning. I hope that you would understand that God set this time up for you. He came to you. You're the one. God cares about the one. He cares about the last. Listen, or the least. Verse 35. Then Philip began with the very passage of scriptures and told him the good news about Jesus. That's the best thing that you can give him. Give him Jesus. I was in Kelowna, Canada, and they told me, don't go share there. It's a university town. They just want to debate and argue with you. And so my wife and I, we arrived on a Winnebago with all these young guys. We love taking young people. They're all zealots. You know, yeah, let's just pile up in the Winnebago. Let's go. You know, we got like 12, 13 people all lying on top of each other. We get there late. My wife and I, we get out on the park about 830 at night, and we're just walking there. I see these three young men on a table. I walk up, and I say, do you have time to hear about Jesus? Oh, yeah. And, and we started debating, you know, and they were, you know, and I was just, what I wanted to do was just break everything that they put their trust in. So whether it was, you know, evolution, it was other, it was, one guy was a Muslim, it was Islam. I, I just was showing them, I was just showing them the truth. So I was just breaking everything they put their trust in. And then the Holy Spirit spoke in my heart, give them Jesus. I'm like, oh, what am I doing? And I said, listen, guys, we can debate all night here, but let me share this with you, and then you can answer. I'll answer every question that you have. Let me share the gospel. And they said, okay, let's hear it. And so I gave them the gospel, the full gospel message. And at the end, I asked them, would you like to give your life to Jesus? I, I don't wait. I just give it to them. Do you, do you want to give your life to Jesus? They said, yes. And the Muslim man says, if Jesus is God, I want to give my life to him too. And I said, he is God. And they all three of them gave their lives to Jesus right there and then. Give him Jesus. Amen. Jesus is great. He's powerful. So here he gives them Jesus Christ. And listen to what it says in verse 36. And as they traveled the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of, of, of my, uh, I'll get it. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. What I wanted to show you this morning is found there. Philip went for just the one person. The one person in the desert road. And it was the eunuch. And God goes after the one. Think about the woman at the well. Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. If you remember that, uh, every Jew would go around Samaria because to them they were half-breeds. If you remember in AD 70, or I'm sorry, 70, uh, 720 B.C., the Assyrian army came and they demolished the northern section of Israel and they scattered them abroad. And so there was no longer uh, Israel in that portion. 
And the people that were brought in there began to be eaten by the lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, you know, but they, they began to be eaten and they, they went to the Assyrians. They said, can you send some people back here who lived among this area? Because we don't know how to worship their gods and their gods keep sending the animals here to eat us. And so they sent the Jews back and the Jews came back and began to teach them about Yahweh, their true and living God. But the problem is they began to mix and marry. And so they're now our half-breeds. So Jesus, being a true Jew, should normally join the other Jews and go around. But Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. Why? The woman at the well. He finds her there, and he begins to dialogue with her and finds out about, you know, he's just, he just, they have this dialogue, you know. But Jesus gets right to the matter. He says, if you want living water, it's found in me. He says, go home and bring your husband here. And she says, oh, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right. You've had five husbands and the one that you're with is not your husband. You see, the woman had a problem. It was relational. The problem with men, the problem maybe with her mom or her dad, maybe whoever. I don't know, but it was an issue of not being satisfied. But Jesus is going to give her that that, that lovely satisfaction that he gives to one soul, he was going to give it to her. And that's, that's the only place that it can be found. You having a tough relationship? You have, you having a, 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 a relational problem with your children, your husband, your wife? What is it? Christ is here to meet you. He came to meet the woman at the well. It was her that he came from. Think about the demonic man. Remember the man in the garden there in the tombs? Said that he was naked, running around, yelling, breaking the chains. Remember that? It says that Jesus came from one side of Galilee to the other side where he was at. And it's there that Jesus freed him from the demonics, uh, the, the, the demons. It said that he had a legion full, which is about 6,000, 6,000 demons. Now, this guy had no control of his life. He, he couldn't do anything about his circumstance or his situation, and he was, he was desperate, no doubt. And Jesus came for him. Remember the demons? They were told to go into the pigs, and then the pigs went into the water, and they all drowned. Remember the people came out, and they said, oh, we're afraid of you, Jesus. Leave us. So indeed, Jesus just came for the one, the one, the demon-possessed man, and he freed him, and he gave him life. And that's what Jesus can do for you. I, I, I think of their circumstance, right? If you think about the worship, I mean the, the eunuch, he was seeking God. And Jesus came to him. So that, if that's you this morning, if you're the, the one that's coming here, you, you, you've learned all the songs, you, you've made it a habit to come to church, but you don't have that relationship with Jesus, then Jesus is here for you this morning. And he wants to give you that personal relationship where it goes deeper. It goes deeper when you have that relationship. It's that mark from the 18 inches from your soul, your heart, and from your head. It goes now becomes one with Christ. Think about the woman at the well having all those relationships and not being satisfied. Is that where you're at this morning? You're not satisfied? You're not at peace you're not comforted. Well, Jesus wants to bring that to you this morning. He wants to bring peace. He wants to bring the peace that passes all understanding deep within the soul. And all of a sudden, you, it's, 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 
it's so abnormal in our environment in the U.S. All of a sudden, relationships starts to mend. Even husbands coming back, coming back to their wives, and wives come back to their husband, children. It's amazing what the Lord can do. He can bring that peace. He can bring that joy once again. Think about the demonic man out of control, right? His life is out of control. He had no ability to do anything about it. I think that many Americans are in this circumstance or in this situation, I should say. You know, I, I, I run into a lot of people and they say, oh, my illness, I'm on this medication. I'm on, I mean, so many excuses they make, right? And, and I want you to know this morning, if you, need to take if you need to take medication, do so. But do not leave God out of the equation because he wants to do a miracle in your life. He wants to free you and make you free indeed to live for him boldly and courageously. Think about their calling. Think about the, uh, the eunuch. He goes back home, right, to, to uh, Ethiopia, and it's there this revival takes place. And even to this day in northern Africa, that hostile area, there are still Christians there. Many, many. It's, it's a Christian nation there, Ethiopia. And he had a work. He had a part of that work. Think about the woman at the well. She went to Samaria into the city and said to the men, hey, there's a guy that told me all about my life. You guys need to go hear him. And they said, yeah, we want to hear. If he told you about all your life, we want to go here. And they go, and there's this great revival that takes place, and many give their lives to Jesus. The demoniac, remember when the people told Jesus, you must leave? He gets on the boat, and the, the demoniac man who's freed reaches over to Jesus and says, may I go with you? And Jesus says, no. You need to remain here. You need to remain here and tell everybody of the great works that God has done for you. Just one day with Jesus. No, he didn't go to Bible college. He didn't go to seminary. He just one day with Jesus. One day. And Jesus said, go back and tell them about the great things that God has done for you. The Bible records this, that he went to his city and the whole region to Decapolis and shared of the great works of God, the calling of God. And that's where I end with the mission message for you. You know, you have been called by God to do great works. But I think many of us, we sit on our hands, we come and sit on these pews, but we don't do anything for Jesus. But I want you to know, Jesus didn't call you to himself to leave you there. He called you to use you. And in what area? I don't know. I'll let the Holy Spirit convict you. But God has called you, and he can use any one of you. Think of those three, those three people that we looked at this morning. You know, the eunuch, you know, the woman at the well, the demonic influenced by these demons. God set him free, and he used them mightily. And this morning, God wants to use you. He wants to gift you. He wants to give you his power and infuse, just to ignite you to do amazing things for his kingdom. And there's no age barrier, right? Abraham was 75 when he was called by God. Little Joseph was so young. Little David was so young. So there's no age barrier. God wants to use you for his glory if you will allow him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Listen, 
I realize that God has gifted many of you uh, with much wisdom in, in your occupation. And I realize that some of you have a strong back to work hard and you remain here in America. And if you don't want to go in the third world countries, my wife and I will gladly go for you. So partner with us and we together can change the world for Jesus Christ. Amen. There are many missionaries that you support here. Get behind their work and watch God do a work throughout all the world. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, there's, there's just the one here that thinks that you have abandoned them. There's one here, Lord, that, that thinks that you, that you didn't come for him or them. So, Lord, I pray for them right now, Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open up their hearts to you. I pray that you would show yourself mighty to them right now, Lord. I pray even now, this moment, Lord, they could hear your voice. Speak to them now, Jesus. This morning, if you've never given your life to Jesus and you hear the Lord knocking on your heart saying, come, come and hang out with me. Give your life to me. If that's you this morning, raise your hand. I want to pray with you a prayer, inviting Jesus into your life. Is there anybody here? Amen, sister. Amen, sister. I see you. God sees you more importantly. Anybody else? Amen, my brother. God sees you. Amen. Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else here? Lord's calling and you hear his voice. You're one of those ones that seem to be on the outside and speaking to your heart and wants to give you hope, wants to give you victory, wants to give you life and life more abundantly. Anybody else? Amen, my brother. God sees you. Amen. Lord sees you. Amen. Well, let me pray. Pray a prayer uh, with me. It's in inviting Jesus in your life, asking him to forgive you of your sins. Let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, I've committed much wrongs against you. And for that, I am sorry. I repent of that. I want to turn away from the things that are wrong. Teach me how, Jesus. Teach me to live for you. So right now, Jesus, I invite you into my life. Show me how to live for you. I know that you paid for my sins. You died for me. And God raised you up. And you made a way for me now to get to heaven through you. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, God bless you. Amen. Oh, just a couple of things. My word. First of all, praise the Lord for those hands that went up and opened hearts and now eternal life, washed away sins forever. Oh, wow. Praise the Lord. First of all, I want to thank you, Bond, for uh, coming and not just showing pictures and some videos and telling missionary stories, which is 
very nice. But you came with the word of God. And I remember talking to you. You said, I just need 15 minutes for the pictures. And we'll talk about what we're doing there. But then I want to bring the word of God because that's what's most important. And that's the reason they came. You know, and I said, amen. I'm going to like this guy. And I do. And so what a great job. And listen, we're very careful about the resources God provides. Uh, We are in zero debt at this church, and we like to be generous with missionaries. But what the prayer has always been is, Lord, it's a big world. We could sink some dollars into just spin the globe and put your finger there, right? But we're asking God that you direct us, that we'd hear your living voice that here, this is where I want funds from the rock and people's gifts and callings to get behind this work. And so we're patient. We just wait until our paths cross. And, and the way that we met Bon and Heather, just amazing way. And he brought them to us. It's theologically sound, which is important to us. And uh, just uh, character qualities and all of that. So all that to say, uh, there are opportunities to partner with orphanages that they're Uh, working with and and starting. Uh, So you can partner, uh, have a a child sponsorship is what I'm trying to say. Uh, Or, you know, we go usually to that part of the world in February. Uh, We were talking about going. There's a wide range this time of opportunity because uh, there are needs in the buildings, needs for painting, needs for your, uh, all kinds of things with evangelism, uh, things with, the, I would be teaching the college students, uh, but there's just children's ministries, uh, going out into villages and be helping in practical ways. Uh, so you don't have to be a missionary evangelist teacher kind of person to go on a trip like that. It would be something about 10 days or so, and it's very affordable to go to Nepal uh, because once you're there, it's the airline ticket. But once you're there, it's like $500 covers your cost to be there for lodging and food. So somewhere around $2,000, and I'm telling you this a year in advance, so if you want an adventure of a lifetime, and it would be that, uh, minus the cobras, oh, yeah, no, I'm not coming if there's that kind of thing going on. I'm just telling you what. No, the surprise so with a little tortilla. I'll take a tortilla, and out comes a cobra. I would just be dead with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that's what you would have had on that bus. And it looked fake. It was real. That didn't help me any. Thank you. So... I'm just excited. We're praying about it. I'll give you some details. If, if, if something's sparking in your heart, like, you know what? That's pretty good use of 2000 bucks. you know? You come along with us, uh, there'll be a place for you. All right? Just a willing heart. And uh, so praise the Lord. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, so many opportunities. Uh, thank you for coming, doing a, such a wonderful job. Why don't we stand? We'll have a closing song. Then I'll come back and dismiss us in prayer. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. 
Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.